what a blessing. We go from worship into that, and uh, it is awesome. And so um, we are going to spend some time back in God's Word, and uh, our, our, our context and our theme for this morning is so appropriate to what we've been singing and actually to what we just heard. All the, the prayers that Alyssa and her family were lifting up for health issues, for very serious things, for children, and then how God blessed. And she said something really important that was going to come out in the message. Um, be careful what you pray for, right? <laughs> but we say it in a good way because we pray with expectation, because we pray to an amazing and powerful God, don't we? And so I pray that this morning's message uh, encourages you, but as always will be a challenge. And I shared with some of the um, with some of the leadership earlier this morning. You know, we get together to pray. It's the first thing we do. We get here. Actually, the first thing we do is we put the coffee on. I can't lie. And then we go and we pray. That's okay, right? And uh, and then we have coffee and we have Jesus and we do that together. And that's how we begin our day. And so I was just talking about how fired up I was about this message because um, there was just some things going on in my life this week that were just kind of helping me to sort of hone in on what God, I believe, is trying to teach us this morning through this short but profound passage that really all is, is all about prayer. Um, but, you know, it, it was just a great uh, reminder to me about how powerful prayer is and probably, um, in perspective, how little we actually take advantage of it and how little we pray. So that's where the challenge comes in. So I pray that our passage will encourage you and maybe uh, just shed some light on some things maybe that you were unaware of or were questioning, but also then will encourage you to simply become more of a prayer warrior, somebody who comes before God in prayer. And so just a little recap and then we'll get right into it. So we are in our study in the Gospel of Mark. We're in chapter 11. We're going to cover verses uh, 20 to 26 today. And just as a sort of a side note with an asterisk there, uh, in some of your versions, maybe the ESV, you'll notice that it goes from verse 25 to verse 27. Did anybody notice that yet? Maybe you did. There's a couple of times that happens in uh, in Scripture. Nobody raised their hand, by the way. Just thought I'd mention that, but that's all right. I'm just joking. But there are times when we had um, some manuscripts in the Greek and the Hebrew that were used to put together the canon of scriptures and to translate these letters. But then as we found throughout the the centuries of church history, as we discovered earlier manuscripts of the original writings, we recognized that perhaps some verses were added, probably by scribes as they were copying. And so it doesn't necessarily mean that it's unbiblical, but maybe not necessary to be in here. But in this case, verse 26 um, is fitting and well. But um, some versions have it, others don't. Ours today does not, and I'll kind of get to that. But in a sense, it's just like a passage in Matthew, and when we get to that, I'll show you what that means. So if you're reading through it, and you see it goes from 25 to 27, don't uh, don't go and return your Bible because there's a misprint, all right? Um, So that's, that's where we are. So we have seen Jesus on the way with his disciples heading to Jerusalem, and now Jesus has reached Jerusalem. And Mark is going to spend the next you know, five or six chapters, the last chapters of his whole letter just on the last few days of Jesus' life. Shows you the importance of it, right? And so we saw how Jesus was entering, uh, coming to Jerusalem, coming in as a king, the triumphal entry. Uh, there's a fig tree that he curses. Remember, that plays an important role in our passage this morning. Curses the fig tree, and then he goes back into the, the, um, the temple, overturns the tables of the money changers, And then comes back, and this is where we are now, and they see the fig tree, and it is completely withered from the roots. And then Jesus teaches Peter and his disciples an extremely important lesson that he wants them to know and to learn and to remember before he leaves them. So let's keep this in context. As I read through it in just a moment, I want you to take this into account. Um, this passage, including especially verses 22 to 24, are verses that have been taken out of context for many years now in, um, in the Christian community. And these are verses that what we call, let's say, the health and wealth gospel, the prosperity gospel, the name it and claim it, preachers and churches will land on. These are their key verses 
to promote their idea of you name something and God will give it to you. And if you pray for something and you don't get it, it means that you're lacking in your faith. And there is something wrong with you. Alright? That is, I believe, an abhorrent teaching that is out there and is more prevalent than you think. Did you ever flip through the channels and you see that there's a whole block of channels that seem to be Christian preachers? And I won't name them, you know, just kind of, you know, just to protect the names of the not so innocent, right? And so, um, you know, there's many of them. But what's so interesting is that those are the popular ones, the ones that have the big churches with all the money that can get on the TV and they are preaching this theology. Now, what makes it more dangerous, and this is something we've talked about in the past, when it is mixed um, with a lot of truth, and there's a little bit of lie and a gross misinterpretation, that makes it more dangerous, doesn't it? Because then it sounds good. So what that calls us to do is to be discerning. That's a really important word in the life of a Christian, that we would discern the truth, always going back to Scripture. So this morning's text is um, a classic example of text being taken out of context. Because don't we have to read the Scripture in the context of where it is? Who is it being um, written to? What's happening in the scene? Who are the people that are listening? And what does it have to do with other Scriptures? What do other Scriptures say about it? Because if we don't, then what happens is you take one Scripture and you pull it, what we say, out of context, and you can make it say pretty much anything you want. And that is not how Scripture works. That is not how prayer works, where we just go to God and we request something like a vending machine and then we automatically get it as if God owes us something. And so there's sort of a context for what we're talking about. But Jesus, and I really want to make this clear, Jesus has a few days left in his earthly ministry and his earthly life. Jesus has spent three and a half years teaching his disciples, right? We call it on the way of Jesus, teaching his disciples how to be a follower, but also preparing them for his eventual exit from the scene, which in the context of our time period, he's already entered into Jerusalem. There is a few more days left before the, um, the, before the crucifixion and then the resurrection. So he is preparing his disciples for what's going to happen next. And this is something he has taught them many times. But he uses the fig tree as a very powerful, living parable to teach them an important lesson. And so if he's going to teach them this lesson about the power of prayer, and he decides that it's so important that he's going to take some time, very few moments he has left, then I think we need to listen. Would you agree to that? So Jesus takes the opportunity to make use of a very teachable moment. Now, as... um, As parents, we know that there are often teachable moments in the life of our relationship with kids, right? And that there are many times we might warn them to do something or not to do something, and then um, they don't listen, and then the bad thing happens, and we say, see, I told you. And it's a teachable moment, right? So I remember as a child, I remember that there was a time when my mom was going to go back to work and we were blessed. She'd be able to stay home and watch me and my brother when we were kids. And then there was a time as we got older and we were in school, even later grammar school, when we were old enough to kind of fend for ourselves. I think they call it latchkey kids, right? You come home and there's a part of that. It, it is what it is, more so today's age maybe than ever. And so she was preparing me, you know, I'm going to be going off to work, so I'm not always going to be here to do things. And so I remember her teaching me how to do laundry. How to do my own laundry. So I remember specifically and brought me to the basement where the, the big bad washer and dryer are, you know, and, and uh, showing me how to use it. And of course, I had no interest whatsoever in learning how to use the washer and dryer. Why? Because mom is always there. And how did my clean clothes always get into my room so I could get dressed and go to school? Mom did it, right? So my mom was preparing me to say, there's going to be a time where I'm not going to be here because I'm going to be at work and you're going to need clean clothes for school, and you're going to have to do this yourself. So she was preparing me. So, of course, I didn't pay attention. Well, why would I? Because it wasn't connecting. See, mom's always around, so therefore I will always have clean clothes. See how A equals B? Right? That's the way it works. And so I do also remember, probably the first time, when it was, of course, this teachable moment, I got up one morning, and I had no clean clothes. None of the clothes, you know, the cool clothes that you want to wear, 
right? You know, when you have to go to school wearing this, the certain things, the certain outfit, the cool jeans, the cool parachute pants, that's another story. You can ask me about those. Yeah, some of you remember. Yeah, that was my, that was my era. And, um, and so anyway, and so I remember not having the, these clean clothes. So what do I do? I yell, Mom, where's my clean clothes? Right? And uh, what did she respond? Well, did you do your laundry? Do my own laundry? Remember I showed you how to do your laundry? No. Well, where are my clothes? Well, they're probably right where you left them, in the dirty laundry. So I had a choice. Do I wear dirty clothes to school or I wear that outfit that everybody will make fun of me in, right? I'm not going to tell you what I chose to do. But here was a teachable moment where my mom had tried to prepare me for that moment when she wasn't going to be around. said, here is how you do this on your own. Because yes, it's been easy for you since I've been in your presence. But now that I'm going back to work, there's some things you're going to have to do. Let me show you how to do it. So Jesus takes this opportunity to teach Peter and the disciples about prayer. Why? One of the main reasons is he's about to leave them. Now if you think about it, he spent three and a half years with them. And perhaps it affected their prayer life. I don't know, it doesn't say that. But if we had Jesus with us, we would we have to sit next to him and say, hold on, Jesus, I'm going to pray to you right now. Right? He was with them. And so in a sense, he provided their needs. If there was food, he would do it. If there was no food, he provided the fish and the loaves, right? And if there was water to, and water to drink and all of that. So Jesus, in a way, is teaching, te- taking this teachable moment, uses the fig tree as a living parable to say, I'm about to leave you. But when I do... Here's something that you have at your disposal. It's called prayer. And let me show you the power of it. But the power is not in the words. The power is not in the prayer itself. It's not in the faith in the prayer. The power is in God. And see, what happens oftentimes is we we go along as if we're having faith in faith itself. But we are to have faith in God. You see? And so Jesus is going to teach them this very important lesson because he's about to leave them. And he wants them to be prepared for the coming judgment that he is proclaiming on Israel through the the cleaning of the temple and on the fig tree. And for the coming persecution that they're going to face. And just for his the coming of his his, um, absence from them physically, he's trying to teach them, I'm still with you because you have the power of prayer. So that's the context of what we're looking at today. And here's what it says, very simply, Mark 11, 20 to 25. Again, 26 being omitted. I'll tell you what some versions have in case you have it when we get to it. It says simply this, As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. Remember, he cursed the fig tree because it, it only had leaves but no fruit. And Jesus was hungry. And it was this picture, a symbolism of Israel looking good on the outside, lots of green leaves, but being unfruitful. And so this fig tree that he cursed saying, no one will ever be able to be blessed by your fruit again, because again, referencing Israel not being a blessing to the nations on behalf of God, he says they come back the next day and they notice that the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, hey, Rabbi, look, that fig tree that you cursed, it has withered. And then Jesus answered them. It's a curious answer, but we kind of see the connection. He says to Peter's response, Peter says, look, the, the, that fig tree, the one that you cursed, it's withered. He says, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. Some really powerful verses, and can be a little confusing. But again, a very prime example of keeping the text in context, right? And so, 
Jesus takes advantage of this teachable moment. So remember, he cursed the fig tree, and then he cleansed the temple, then they come back to the fig tree. It's like, it's like Mark kind of sandwiched it in there. They were supposed to see what's going on. It's all important. And so we come back to the fig tree now, and Jesus uses this opportunity. But why now? Because it's such a critical time in his discipleship process with these 12 men that he is saying, um, look, this is really important that you understand the nature and the power of prayer and how it is absolutely uh, necessary and absolute necessity to the life of a disciple. Right? If they were to be faithful disciples in spreading the gospel, continuing the mission that he was on with them, in understanding the coming judgment on Israel and then remaining faithful during the persecution, they had to be men of faithful and fervent prayer. Would you agree to that? Right? So prayer is essential to the life of a believer. And so it is our lifeline, our connection to that power and provision of heaven. And that is what Jesus is teaching them. In our community groups that meet during the week at night, we just finished or about to finish a journey through looking at the powerful names of God. Different names of God and the power within each one. And there's one that really stuck out to me. Jehovah Nisi, N-I-S-S-I. And what that means in the Hebrew simply is, uh, the Lord my banner. Okay, And there's this great scene from Exodus 17, when Moses, of course, leading the people and then having Joshua with him, is going into battle... Uh, against the Amalekites, because God told them to. And God said, this is your promised land. Remember, this is Exodus, and they're going to the promised land. And he says to Moses, you're going to fight and be victorious over the Amalekites. And so he's always prom- he already promised a big win. And so what happens is, here's the scene. They're in the valley, and Joshua is the military leader fighting the battle, right, with all of the enemies of the the, uh, Israel army, and then, of course, against the the Amalekites. And what's happening up on top of the mountain is you have Moses holding up the staff of God. That same staff that he used to part the Red Sea, take water out of the rock, he is holding it up. And what's happening is this. We see this great picture. It tells us very clearly that every time that Moses let down that rod, what happened? That the people in the battle led by Joshua would start to falter and lose. So every time then he raised it back up, they would win. See, the battle was going on in the valley, right? But the war was really being won up there. Because Moses was representing God, you see? And it even says there was a time when he got so weary that he was dropping his arms. Aaron and Hur came along and lifted up his arms. Right? So that there would be that banner. That's where we get that name from, Jehovah Nisi. That's what's used there. Because after they win the battle, Moses erects a, it's a statue, a monument, and he calls it Jehovah Nisi, Lord my banner. Because it was under that banner that they fought the battle. They didn't do it on their own terms. They did it under the banner of God and his great name. But see, for us, what does that look like for us? See, that's the power of prayer. That yes, we are engaging in spiritual battle. And every day there's things that we struggle with. But are we trying to win that battle on our own? Or are we tapping into the power of heaven where the war is already won, victory in Jesus, and all we have to do, God says, is to pray. Because when we pray, we are bringing ourselves under that great banner, Jehovah Nissi, God our banner, the Lord our banner. See? That's that picture of prayer for us. And so, He is our power and our provision, but it comes from heaven for our daily battles against the enemy. And so when He cursed that fig tree, and then Peter recognized that it actually had withered. Man, that was a demonstration of, yes, the power of judgment because Jesus was coming as King and pronouncing judgment on Israel, but he was also teaching them as their loving king, this is how you will still have power even when I have left you. It's interesting, in Matthew's account, Matthew 21.20, Peter, there's words Matthew adds to Peter when Peter says, look, that fig tree has withered from the roots up. He then says, how did that happen so immediately, happen so quickly? And it wasn't just like he was saying that he was astonished that it actually happened, but he was, 
he was so astonished, like, how does this work? Jesus, you spoke to the fig tree and it listened. Where does that power come from, Jesus? That's what Peter was saying, right? This is the same Peter, if you remember, who tried to walk on water. Remember that? <laughs> remember when, when Jesus was walking on water and Peter was on the boat and he saw that he was like, yeah, I want to have some of that. And he said, Jesus, can I walk on water too? It's like it was his prayer. Jesus, I want that too. And what did Jesus say? He said, yes. So he answered his prayer. Yes, you want to walk on water? Okay, come on out of the boat. And so Peter had to take that step of faith and he was doing pretty good. Because his eyes were focused on Jesus, see? It's like in us in prayer, we keep our eyes focused on the Lord. Do we get distracted with everything else? Or do we try to do things in our own power? Because once he noticed, oh my gosh, I'm actually on water, and there's winds and waves, trying to do it on his own. Can you picture him almost like in a cartoon, like moving his feet real fast? I'm going to get to Jesus before I sink? It's in his own power. And what does Jesus say? Oh, Peter, man of little faith. Why do you doubt? He had faith. But see, he kept his eye, took his eyes off of Jesus. The same Peter, right? And so here it is, Peter recognizes, and he's basically astounded. I can't believe it. It actually withered, Jesus. And Jesus kind of begins this teaching moment to say, like, really? Like, you were astonished by that? Why? We spent three and a half years together. And so he takes this opportunity to teach them once again. Peter, my fellow disciples, here is the power of prayer. You need to be ready. Be ready to tap into that power because there's things that are coming. There's judgment coming. There's persecution coming. There's difficult times ahead and you have to continue to spread the gospel, the good news, the mission that we've been on. You need to continue that. And I'm not going to be here to provide all your needs physically and so you're going to have to pray. You have to pray to the Father in my name because when you do, then you'll get everything that you ask for. But then here's the key and this is where so many people are led astray and go astray from this interpretation. And we're going to see in a minute a bunch of other scriptures that I'm going to list for you. When we say that we pray in the name of Jesus, or when Jesus says here, anything that you say, uh, if you believe it, it will be done for you. He says even about uh, taking this mountain and throwing it into the sea. He says, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, just believe you received it and it will be yours. There's a stipulation there. Jesus had taught them this. One condition. Many times, over three and a half years, and he's saying it once again, he doesn't even need to say it. When we pray in his name, we are praying according to his will. If you remember nothing else from this morning, remember that we pray in his will. When our prayers do not match up with what his will is, then why is he going to answer that prayer if it's not his will, you see? So our prayer should always be that we're praying in his will. And how do we do that? Through our obedience Right Through our submission to the Holy Spirit as we draw closer to Him, then our prayers will be more His prayers. His prayers will be more our prayers. Say, See that? That's the connection there. And so it's really important we recognize when Jesus is saying this to them, whatever you pray, whatever you pray, just believe it's already done. Because it's the will of God. If it's the will of God, you can guarantee it will be done. Does that make sense? Because He is the Sovereign Lord. He is the King. And Jesus just cursed that fig tree and it listened as he's saying i have the power you just ushered me into jerusalem as the king i am the king so i am the source of the power the power peter is not in the words that you say in the prayer it's not even in the faith it's in the one behind it are you believing in me or are you doubting so his answer to peter is have faith in god have faith in who in god he doesn't say He doesn't say, have faith in your faith. He doesn't say, just try a little bit harder, pray a little bit longer. Once you start believing a little bit more, he says, have faith in God. And don't doubt. Don't doubt what? That God's just going to give you whatever you ask for? No. Don't doubt that God will work out his will. And don't doubt that he can do it. That God can do the impossible. So in a moment, we're going to look at some other verses. But here's another thing to kind of just put as a parenthesis, but I I think it gives us a a greater context too. Again, another reason that you have to recognize the words are there for a a reason for us, but there's always context to what is being said. Okay, So we know that Jesus is teaching to pray in His name, in His will. Okay, You can't just name something and then automatically He has to give it to you, right? Like He owes us something. It doesn't work that way. But here is something else. 
Jesus says, truly I say to you, so he says, have faith in God, whoever says to this mountain, think about it, where are they standing? They're on a mountain. They're on a Mount of Olives when he's teaching them, right near outside Jerusalem. And he says, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and doesn't doubt in his heart, but believes that it will come to pass and it will be done for him. Now, Jesus, of course, and the disciples, they knew the Old Testament. They knew the Scriptures. And perhaps Jesus was referring all the way back to something in Zechariah 14.4. Because there was a reference, a prophetic reference to Jesus' return to set up His kingdom And it says this, I won't quote it exactly, but in Zechariah 14, it talks about the mountain, the Mount of Olives, being split in two when Jesus returns to set up His kingdom. It talks about everything being laid waste and making a plain. It's as if to say, the land, listen, the land is being prepared for the coming King to rule and to reign. So even this mountain, this Mount of Olives, will be split in two and moved away to make way for the king. Didn't they just in the triumphal entry make way for the king? And Jesus is giving this reference, see? He's saying, whoever says to this mountain... See, they would know the reference to Zechariah, if that's what he was talking about, right? We don't know for sure, but it sure does seem to make sense. He says, whoever says to this mountain, the Mount of Olives, be thrown into the sea. Did you know from the Mount of Olives you can see... The Dead Sea? You can see it. And you can see, it's like he's saying, back to Zechariah, saying that if you you pray this, it will happen. Why? Because God already said it was going to happen. Do you see what I'm saying? It already says in the Old Testament, this is going to happen when Christ returns, when when the Messiah comes. And so Jesus says, look, if you say to this mountain, do this, it's going to happen. Why? Because it's God's will. See? Because God already willed it to happen. Does that make sense? See, so that's what Jesus is doing. It gives a little bit more insight. When he's basically saying, look, I've come in as the king. And it says back in Zechariah 14, the whole land shall be turned into a plain. Because that mountain is being actually cut into two. The way is being made. And so that prayer, right? Right as during, they're celebrating the Passover, right before the Last Supper, Jesus teaching them about the power of prayer, but we're praying in the will of God. So if God said way back in Zechariah, this is going to happen, it's going to happen. Because it's a future thing from that moment, right? Because Jesus says, when I return, because I need to leave, when I return to set up my kingdom, church, which is what we are waiting for, all right? For the, for, for the rapture to take up his church, and then he comes back and sets up his kingdom after the tribulation, right? We've gone through that. It says all the way back in Zechariah, this is what it's going to look like. And this mountain is going to be moved. So Jesus says, you can say to this mountain, just be moved, be thrown into that sea that you can see over there, and it's going to happen. Why? Because God already said that it would. That's why He says, He says, believe that you have received it. Like it's already happened. Because God willed it and said it would happen. All right, a few more. We're running kind of late. But there's some important verses that we want to get to. Um, that's really going to, I think, kind of help to bring our focus right into it. Okay, So he's teaching them again. When he's gone, he's going ha- to be their source of power. Do you remember in um, the, the Great Commission, we call it, the end of Matthew? Right? When, uh, right before Jesus ascends, and he says, um, what does he say to them? He says to them about all power and authority. Remember that? I'm going to read it to you. So here's what it says in Matthew 28. I think it's 18 to, to 20. Jesus came and said to them, this we call the Great Commission, sending them out. But before he says, go and make disciples, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go, therefore, right, that authority, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he says, uh, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. See, he again was leaving them, and he says, don't worry, you can pray, because the power comes from me, because all that authority and power from heaven and earth is given to me from the Father, so I am your source. So pray in my name, I'm sending you out, I'm not going to walk with you anymore. We had three and a half good years together, 
But he says, now I'm sending you out, but I'm not sending you out on your own. You have the power of prayer. Anytime. You need to come, with, come to me. You need that power. You understand you can't do it on your own. You pray. And he says, because all the authority is mine. And the power is mine. And he says, I'm sending you out in the name of that power. Right? And so we hear from so many teachers, unfortunately, as I mentioned before, it's really about having faith in faith and not in God Himself because Jesus says to Peter, have faith in God. And then He talks about the mountain being moved, the power of, of uh, effectual prayer, right? You remember when Jesus modeled prayer for His disciples? We call it the Lord's Prayer. Uh, some people call it the Disciples' Prayer because He modeled it for Him, right, for them, right? So what do we say? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be His name, what? Thy kingdom come, and whose will? Thy will be done, right? On earth as it is in heaven, see? It's he's modeling saying it's his will. We want his will to be done. He's like, that's how you pray. And then you can get to, please give us today our daily bread. But first recognize who you're praying to, who's got the power, and whose will is to be done. Then you can ask. You see how that works? I mean, I think Jesus knew what he was doing, didn't he? Right? He had a good model for prayer. And it's all for His glory. See, in our passage, Jesus is talking about the Father's will for Israel, right? To be His kingdom people and Jesus coming as their King. The kingdom was offered to them. And look at what it says, Isaiah 60, 21. This verse came up in a discussion this week. God's heart and God's will. We want to know what God's will is. Look, your people shall all be righteous. They shall possess the land forever. The bre- but then listen. This is God speaking, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I might be glorified. See, what's God's will? That read Israel, today we are the church. We look forward to God, Jesus coming to set up his kingdom to fulfill all his promises for the people of Israel. It says, your people will be righteous. They're going to possess the land forever. Why? Because I planted it. Because it's my will. It's the work of my hand so that I can be glorified. Do you see anywhere in there where we can just ask God for anything and He is obligated to give it to us? It's His will. Here's some other important verses. 1 John 5.14 And this is the confidence that we have toward Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He will hear us. It's pretty clear, right? James 4.13-15 Come now, you who say... Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you don't even know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a midst that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Talk about sobering, right? But instead, this is how you should approach God. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As oftentimes people that, you know, you, you just say casually, you say, hey, see you tomorrow. What do they say? Lord willing. That's okay. I got a friend from, uh, from the West that says, uh, Lord willing and the creek don't rise. Right? So Lord willing and hopefully the creek doesn't rise and, you know, float us all the way. And so the idea is, is it the Lord's will? Right? So even to say, like James says, oh, I'm going to do this tomorrow. Here's my big plans for next year. Really good. We pray in that in the name of the Lord that it would be His will to be done. Right? That's how we should do it. If the Lord wills. A few more. John 14, 13 to 14. Whatever you ask in my name, Jesus teaching, this I will do. Is that pretty clear? He says it. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Again, asking in his name is the same as asking according to his will. So you're praying, don't let anybody say, no, don't say according to his will. Just believe it. Believe it because we've got to believe it will happen. It's not going to happen if God doesn't want it to happen. That's really important that we understand that. We come before God like in Jesus' model of prayer and we let Him know our request. Jesus, this is what we want. This is our desire. Can you make that happen? But first we recognize, but it's your power and then it's your kingdom, so it's your will. And so, God, we pray that our my will is your will. And how does that happen? When we're obedient and we're faithful and we have faith in God, we draw closer to Him. Therefore... We think more like Him, more in tune 
with who He is, His very nature. We do that by reading and by praying. Philippians 4.19 And my God will supply every need of yours. There it is. Every need that you have, God will supply it according to His riches and glory. Not according to your request. Not according to how much more money you need. But according to His riches and glory. Do you see a theme here? Last one, Ephesians 1. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. He works out everything. Whatever His will is, I guarantee you, it will be done. So if His will was that that mountain will be moved when He returns, then He says, pray it, I guarantee it will happen. Just believe like it already happened because it's God's will. Okay, But what about faith? A couple more things. He says, have faith in God. Right? It's your faith, okay? Your words, that's not where the power is. We are to come to Him in faith, but it's God that has all the power. See, our faith is simply like the way to actualize God's power in your life within the framework of His purpose. Do you see that? I'll say that again. Our faith is a way of actualizing God's power. God's power is real. But to actualize it in our life, but within the framework of His purposes. See? Not for our purposes, but for His. So it's our faith and our prayers that activate that power that is already there. Right? But it's always in the framework of His purpose. He also says, don't doubt. But He doesn't say, don't doubt in your faith. He says, don't doubt in God. Very clear distinction. Don't doubt that God can do it. He can curse that fig tree and it will wither. He can walk on water. All the things we've done, He can cast out demons. God can do it. If it's His will, it will be done. Right? We're coming towards the end here. And How about forgiveness too? We don't want to miss out on this. At the very end, He puts this condition in here. And He says, whenever you... It's verse 25. Whenever you stand praying... So He's still talking about prayer. Teaching the disciples. Remember, they're kind of all gathered around the, the withered fig tree. He says, whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is also in heaven may forgive you of your trespasses. Again, text in context. Is he saying that you have to perfectly forgive other people so that you can get into heaven? No, it's not what he's saying. Who is he talking to? He's talking to believers. He's talking to Peter and the disciples. Those who are already believers who are now disciples trying to follow him. And he says, if you want to remain in fellowship with your heavenly Father, you need to forgive others. Why? Because God has forgiven you. See, there's a big difference there between praying for the forgiveness of sins for salvation and praying for forgiveness of others or forgiving others to maintain that fellowship with one another and with God. Because what happens in the life of a believer when we sin? We know we're not yet perfect. But when a believer sins, we break fellowship with God because we are being disobedient. We lose out on blessings. We lose out on the personal connection. It's like in a relationship and something goes wrong and then there's tension because somebody did something to offend somebody else. And then there's tension. But what happens when you forgive? Then you start talking to one another, right? And there's no more tension. That closeness resumes. Then you're on the same page, right? Then it's like you're on the same team again, working together. It's like that with sin in the life of a Christian. When we sin and are disobedient to God, we break fellowship with Him. It's a temporary broken fellowship. But that's what happens. And so Jesus is saying, look, if you're, if you're going to come to pray and you have something against a brother, or somebody's even got something against you, you work that out. Doesn't he say the same thing in communion? Next week when we do that, when we take the, 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 we gather around the Lord's table, he says, Paul says, examine your heart. Do you have anything against anybody, like in that room or anywhere? And before you take communion and like are reconnected with me symbolically, how about you practice forgiveness? But why does Jesus give that as a stipulation, a condition? Because God, a forgiving God, wants us to forgive as we have been forgiven. That leads us to humility. That leads us into His will. It's very simple. Are we not to pray for His will to be done, right? Is not His will that we forgive others 
as we have been forgiven ourselves. We already know that's His will. And so if that's His will, that's what needs to be done. And that's what will happen. And so we pray in His will, and Jesus says, look, if you're going to stand and pray, and you begin to fellowship with the Father, make sure there's forgiveness in your heart. Because that God that you're about to pray to, He's a God that's all about forgiveness, isn't He? Think about where you've come from, how much He's forgiven you, what that means to you. How about you show that to other people as well? Because then you have reconnected fellowship with one another and with me. Because now you're pleasing me. And now you're doing my will. See how that works? That's what He does. So, in conclusion, I didn't say I'm going to end with this yet. I'm just saying in conclusion, this is my pre-like ending, okay? All right. So, maybe the most important verse that we can use to, uh, to remember the passage, Mark 14, it'll be up on the screen, 32 to 36. We know the scene. You can picture it. Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before. They went to a place called Gethsemane. Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John. Those are his three closest disciples, see? And he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. Jesus said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Can you remain here and and watch? And going a little farther, Jesus fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, if it were possible, think of that, Jesus is praying if it were possible, the hour might pass from Him. And He said these words, Abba, Father, all things are possible for You. Remove this cup from Me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. He just prayed the model of prayer. He recognized who has the power, who has the authority, and whose will is to be done. But then he does present his request, doesn't he? Let this cup pass from me. He said that his soul was greatly distressed and troubled even to death. He says, Abba, Father, it's a very personal a personal prayer, isn't it? Do you ever pray like that? Sometimes we come before God and so pious, and that's okay, and in reverence. But sometimes don't we just come to God as our heavenly dad and father and just say, Abba, Father? It's a very personal and intimate name. He says all things. He recognizes His power. He's saying, God, You can do anything because You're the creator of the universe. See, he starts with that. Abba, Father, you have all the power. You can do anything. Can you please do this for me? Father, can you make the cup pass for me just this once? Because my soul is distressed even to death. He was praying and sweating blood. And he says, that's my desire, but I know it's your will that should be done. So until you answer, no matter what the answer, help me to have faith and accept the answer. And Jesus is having faith in God, but He is pouring out His heart and His request to God. So I'm certainly not saying that we just come before God and say, God, I'm not even going to pray. Just whatever Your will is, just do it. It doesn't work that way. Because God says, pray without ceasing. Are we told that? The fervent prayer. Pray without ceasing. It's to be a lifestyle. So we are to pray. And if what we are praying for doesn't happen, pray some more. And pray some more. But we don't do that saying, if you pray enough, then God has to give it to you. It doesn't work that way. If it's His will, it will be done. But He wants to know our heart. And so we don't know how God works out His will through prayer, but He does. And so He simply tells us, pray. You don't have to tell us how He does it. He just says, your role is to pray. I'm the one with the power. So have faith in me and you pray. Is that what we're doing? Are we praying in faith? Are we praying without ceasing? Are we praying expecting God's will to be done? Are we praying that what we're praying is in His will? Are we recognizing that it's His power? Are we coming before Him and saying, Abba, Father, 
You can do all things. All things are possible with you. Can you let this trouble pass from me right now? But I know it's your will. So until then, bring some relief. Help me. Be merciful. Be compassionate. Until you answer my prayer. And help me to accept however you do answer it. I think that's the way that we are called to pray. The last passage, which kind of just brings us right back to the beginning. There is um, a passage in Habakkuk 3, Habakkuk 3, 17 to 18, and it refers to the fig tree. Not in the same way, but I think it's an appropriate way to end. Though the, the prophet says this, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and even no cattle in the stalls, yet I'll rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in God my Savior. Yes, we are to pray. You can bet that he prayed that the fig tree budded they could eat, and that there was grapes on the vine, that they prayed that the olive crop would flourish, the fields would produce food, that there would be lots of sheep in the pen, and all kinds of cattle in the stalls. You know they prayed for that. But he says, even though none of those things came to pass, I will still rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in God, my Savior. We are to pray in Jesus' name with faith in God's ability to do anything that we ask and never doubt that He can. But what should be our expectations? That's the question. That He answers our prayers? Yes, He does. That He gives us the patience until He does? Yes. The courage to keep praying until He does? Yes. And the faith that He will answer? Yes. And that if we have prayed in His will, it will absolutely be done for us. But it's His will. Not my will, Father, but Your will be done. And that's why we keep praying and seeking His will. And until those things come about, until your fig tree shows buds, until there are grapes on your vines, until there is a bumper olive crop and your fields produce lots of food, until there are many, many sheep in your pen and cattle in your stalls, keep praising and rejoicing God because we are to come before Him in prayer, not just to get things, but to spend time with Him. Shouldn't that be enough, being in His presence? I came across this Latin phrase, I've heard it before, never really gave it much thought. There's two words, quorum Deo. Quorum Deo means this. It means literally to do something in the presence or before the face of God. Quorum Deo means to do something in the presence of God, before His very face. But that Latin phrase throughout Christian history has really come to mean really a way to, uh, to sum up the Christian life. What is the bigger picture of Christian life? We can say it as Coram Deo. That we are to live every moment, breathe every breath, recognizing we are in the presence of the Almighty God. That our life is to be lived in the presence of God, under the authority of God, to the glory of God. That is Coram Deo. See, Jesus takes this teachable moment to reveal to Peter and the disciples, the ones who will be left to continue His mission. In just a few short days, he's teaching them the essential power of prayer and how it is their source. But it's not their own. It's God's power. It will keep them connected to him when he's no longer walking with them physically. They're to have faith in God, to live quorum Deo every breath, every moment in his presence under his authority for his glory and to not be surprised when their prayers are answered. We should not be surprised when our prayers are answered when we are praying in the will of God. So let our prayers, church, follow in this light that we would never relent in our prayers because it's how we breathe as believers. The power of physical life is in every breath in our lungs, isn't it? So our soul is most alive in Christ when our prayers are our spiritual breath. And that source of life is Christ Himself. He is the power in prayer. It's not just because of Him. He is the power. There is power in that name, and we pray in that name. And when we pray, we are entering into the very presence of God. And no matter what He does, no matter how He answers our prayers, shouldn't that be enough for us, church, that we are in His presence?
Let's live that Coram Deo life in the presence of God under His authority and always for His glory, praying in that powerful name. Let's do that now. Would you stand? Father God, we stand together as one, desiring to live always in Your presence. That every breath we take we know is from You, but God, our spirit cries out to breathe every breath with Your power. That our prayers would be our breathing and that we wouldn't just delegate or segregate the secular and the sacred. God, with You, everything should be sacred. And that all that we say and do is filtered through our relationship with You. That we are never not disciples. That we are never not believers. That we are Yours and Your children. And so therefore, we always have opportunity to come before You in prayer. That great privilege of the believer and to say, Abba, Father, all things are possible with You. Would You please take away these difficulties? Would You please provide those things that we need? That is our desire, Abba Father. And You can do all these things. We have no doubt at all. That's our faith. But yet, not our will, but Your will be done. And we pray that what we desire is Your will because then we know it will happen. It's already happened. And so God, help us to pray. To pray with expectation but the expectation that Your will be done because that's when it's the best for us. That's when those answers to prayers are the best for us. So that's why we want Your will to be done. So God, would You help us to be able to do this thing called prayer more effectively and to pray with faith, having faith in You, knowing that it's in Your power and authority that we pray. God, may we never cease praying that it be like the air that we breathe. And Father God, we know that at the end of all things that You'll get the glory for it because Your will is being done and people will see and know and fear that You are God. That we can then tell our stories and we can let people know, I prayed to God and look what He did because His will was done. Father, help us to never take for granted that great power that we have to come before You and to simply pray. To recognize You are our Father. That You love us. You want to lavish your blessings upon us and answer all of our prayers the way that we desire if it's in your will. And so, Father, thank you for our reminder today. Help us, Father God, to just leave this place not being the same and to be people of prayer. People that have hope because we can pray and people that have faith because we can pray and people that tap into that prayer wherever we are. Tap into that power that we have in you. And Jesus, we know that You taught Your disciples that You were leaving, but that You would return. And Jesus, we look forward to that. Until that day that You return, for us, Your church, may we be found in prayer. In Jesus' name, Amen.